Welcome to episode 233 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Lindsay Helm. Lindsay is a former information technology specialist in the U.S. Army, and shortly after leaving the Army, she began working in corporate America for companies such as Amazon, Intuit, and the DoD. She realized the gap in education and retention for employees hiring within the military community, and she launched Empower Employ, a company focused on supporting the economic impact of veterans and military spouses through corporate education and technology. In this interview, we talked about her time in the Army, what led to her starting Empower Employ, and the advice she has for the next generation of military women. I want to give a quick warning just for people to be aware that we do talk about military sexual trauma in this episode, so it is something that comes up and something that we talk about. And if you don't know, you can find the podcast on Wreaths Across America Radio on Fridays at 7 p.m. Eastern and Saturdays at 11 a.m. Eastern on TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and Odyssey. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. I'm so excited to have you here. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really finally excited to sit down and do this. I'm actually honored. It's nice to be in like the reverse and have you do all the interviewing. I know I did an interview yesterday and I was on the receiving end and I was like, oh, I don't have to come up with questions, but then the questions are kind of hard. And I was like, oh, this is not as much fun as I thought. So glad it's uh, you in the hot seat asking the questions versus me. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? Oh, gosh. So I grew up in a very small town in Kentucky and I was kind of the oldest of four. I'm not kind of, I am the oldest of four. And I just, there weren't a lot of opportunities in my house. You know, my parents are in my hometown. My parents didn't really talk about college, I guess, as an option in rural Kentucky. They are really focused just on kind of everybody, the culture is everybody kind of just stays. And so by the time I graduated, I didn't even know what I really wanted to do with my life, but I did know I wanted to get out of there and I wanted to go see what the world had to offer and be able to go to college without being a financial burden on my parents. So I was walking down the hallway my senior year of whatever, probably heading to the cafeteria or wherever I was going and bumped into an army recruiter. And he literally said to me, what do I have to do to get you to sign up for the military? And I was like, well, I want to travel and I want to free, I want to go to college for free. And I felt like the genie from like Aladdin, you know, when he's like done and done, he like crossed his arms and nodded his head. And next thing I knew, I was taking like an ASVAB test and like picking a job and shipping out. And so the the promise of leaving that area and seeing something and doing something bigger uh, sounded like a really good plan. And I wish it was for way cooler reasons. Like I really wanted to serve my country. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew that like, I just couldn't stay there anymore. So that's, that's why I joined. I evacuated for travel and, and new surroundings. I mean, a lot of people join for the benefits of military service. I joined after September 11th, so there's like this, you know, patriotic wave. But I think it's good just to talk about like the realities. Like you wanted to get out of your small town and you wanted college paid for. And he's like, easy, let's go. Fun. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that because I also joined right after. So 9-11 would have been what, 2002, 2001. Sorry. I know. I'm sorry. Like it's early here, but I joined in 2003 and it was like the peak of all of the activity and my parents, oh my gosh, we just have to talk about this for a minute because my poor mother, I had to at 17, sorry, mom, run away from home. So she would sign my debt paperwork. And by run away, I mean, like I called a friend and I stayed at somebody's house for a couple of days and refused to come home because she wouldn't sign it. They were so afraid that I was going to deploy and die um, without really understanding the training opportunities and the career opportunities and the travel opportunities. And it, it really took me doing that for her. And a lot of my friends joined for the reason that you said, you know, there's a service, you know. It wasn't that I wasn't patriotic. I just, it didn't click to me and I was kind of fearless. I'm like, oh, well, it'll never happen to me. And it didn't. I mean, my first deployment deployment was to South Korea. So I never really saw anything like that. So kind of the same reasons. Yeah, the reality was the the benefits, but I learned a lot. <laughs> I learned a lot. Yeah, I think the college benefits are like really, I mean, they 
they drew me in. I was going to school and looking for a way to pay for college, and I was at the community college, and when I transferred to the four-year university, I knew it was going to be more expensive. Right now, like, looking back, it was dirt cheap, but... (laughs) The fact that the military paid for it was, like, a driving factor, you know, like, yes, patriotism, but really, like, the benefits. And I think the benefits of joining and serving for, you know, four to eight years are really amazing, especially, like, the GI Bill. And now I have the post-9-11 GI Bill. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah, and we'll cover all of that. And I feel bad that it's like, you know, benefit, but it is, it's true. When you're 18 and you have no plan or 17 and a half. Um, and that's just not whatever. And somebody says, Hey, we're going to pay you to travel and see the world and give you somewhere to go and clothes to wear and food to eat. And all you have to do is sign here. And we're going to do this for you for four years. And your downtime is your downtime. Like my recruiter didn't have to like hustle me. I feel like I hustled him and I was ready to like go. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's funny for you to talk about like how your mom was like, no, I'm not going to sign the paperwork. And you were like, well, I'm not coming home. Not coming home until you release me. This is the same woman though. And if she ever hears this, she'll be furious. But just for moms out there, and I guess we can talk about this that are worried about, you know, their daughters or their sons joining the military, especially in today's environment. My mom was so upset that I joined the military that the day she dropped me off at the recruiting station for them to take me to Depp, she backed into a dumpster in our big giant, like 2005, you know, Aerostar van, you know, like the old ones that had like ladders on the back and all the wood grain paneling. This woman took out a taillight because she was so upset. She thought it was in drive and it wasn't, and it was in reverse. And I didn't hear that she had damaged the dumpster outside of the recruiting station or the van until I graduated basic training, but it's a when I saw her for family day, but it's been like a conversation of like hysterical things that my parents went through, you know, while I was gone. She was just so sad. None of her kids left. I'm the only one. She's still mad about it because I won't come home still. You're that free spirit. But that is, I mean, I think it's important to talk about like how, I mean, parents, it's okay, like to be upset about it. And like, it can be really hard for parents, especially if you know, like you were the oldest, and you were ready to get out of there. And then, and then you didn't come back. And that was probably what she was most worried about. And that's what happened. Yeah, she's still mad. So I'm in my late 30s with children of my own. And we're I'm married to somebody on active duty. We live in uh, Hawaii. And she asked me every day, when are you going to move home? And my response is always like, But why? Like, why do I want to come home? You know, there's not in Kentucky, aside from some of the, and I know we're on a podcast, I'm using air quotes, larger cities. There's not really anything there for me, you know, aside from family, which is really important. But I mean, from a career perspective to education opportunities for my children to, I don't want them to be farmers or whatever. And they're, you know, so I just, there's just nothing there. And I would like to stay out of there for all kinds of reasons to include political ones, not to discuss, I don't have views. I just don't like some of the the legislature being passed there. So I would like to stay out of the state. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of different factors and that makes a lot of sense. Other than for like Derby Day, I'd go home for Derby Day, (laughs) which is the Kentucky Derby. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Oh, I knew, but good to clarify because yeah. my listeners yeah. are like, what is she talking about? talking about? Yeah, I learned that and not to derail it too bad. But uh, one year I told my husband I was really excited about Derby Day and he's from California and he made fun of me because he had no idea what Derby Day was. And he actually took this conversation to work and pulled all of his friends and out of like 10 people. One person knew what he was talking about. So he contends that Derby Day is not real and that I made it up and we argue about this every year. So mark your calendars for, I think it's like May, generally May 5th or May 12th of every year. I need to look this up. We will be battling it out in our house on that conversation. Funny. I grew up watching the Kentucky Derby, even though I grew up in California. So when you said Derby Day, I was like, oh, Kentucky Derby. That makes sense. Yeah, no, not him. No clue. The Northern Californian clearly was out in the woods when all of this was going down and missed the missed the memo. So you joined the army, I'm guessing like right after graduation, you left for boot camp? Yeah, basically. So I graduated uh, June 
6, which now happens to be my son's birthday. I always think that's really funny. So I graduated June 6 of 2003. I left for basic training on my mom's birthday of 2003 in August. Happy birthday, mom. Popping smoke and getting out of here. Peace. And then graduated. Uh, I think probably it was so hot. They sent me to Fort Jackson, South Carolina, where it was like so hot and red ants everywhere. And oh, my word. And then I graduated from there and went to Fort Gordon, which is like the home of everything signal because I did communications and IT. That was my like assigned job. And then while there, I had no idea things that I wish I knew now people, I found out people figured out how to like finagle their assignments to go to like home. Right. So like if I were from Kentucky, I'd go to Fort Campbell or Fort Knox. But at the time, because it was a highly deployable uh, time frame. All my friends were going to like Fort Stewart or Fort Campbell or wherever. And then what they didn't tell them is shortly after they were deploying straight to wherever. So when I got Korea, South Korea, Camp Humphreys to be specific, I was like really bummed because all my friends were going home in my first duty assignment. Think about this. So I'm 18. I've never really left Kentucky for many reasons. We had literally a blinking yellow light and a super Walmart. And the first thing the army did was congratulations. You're going far, far away to Camp Humphrey, South Korea, where the legal drinking age is 19. And there are, there's no parental supervision. Yeah. Nothing crazy ever happened. I swear. <laughs> so that's kind of what happened. I ended up there as my first duty station and got, um, you know, started my career really out of a foreign country. Huge adjustment. Yeah, that is huge. And I mean, I guess the first culture shock is like going to basic training. So what was that like? Because I mean, if you hadn't really traveled outside of Kentucky, then even like, you know, South Carolina is like a new experience. So like going to basic training was really interesting because like, you know, you had drill sergeants that were very aggressive and like in your face at the time. I don't know what it's like now, but I know what it was like then and good Lord or whoever you believe in. Um, but like, what was fun for me is I had, you know, a bunk mate who, by the way, we're still friends to this date, but she was from New York and I think she's Puerto Rican. I don't want to mess this up. So pretty sure she's Puerto Rican. And she used to like swear at me in Spanish. I didn't know she was swearing at me in Spanish for the longest time. And you would hear her yell out and I'm not even going to attempt to repeat it. I'll just tell you what it translates to because I am terrible at Spanish. It was, God help me, why did you give me such a dumb girl to work with? Like, it didn't matter. I would make my bed wrong and she would get upset and she'd come around and be like, get up. And she mothered me to death and like made sure that like I was not going to be the reason that the two of us got screamed at. And I never really understood that that's what she's doing, nor did I understand that that's what's happening. So then we went, I think she went to a separate basic training or AIT. I don't remember her being there with me, but she was assigned to the same first duty station as me. So we saw each other again later. And then going to AIT and going to Georgia, I had never seen so many diverse populations of people. Full disclosure, and it's hard to talk, it's not hard to talk about, but like looking back at it, I just kind of chuckle. I had never even seen a person of color or spoken to a person of color until I got to AIT. And it wasn't a thing for me. I didn't care. You could have been like bright blue. I literally would talk to anybody. That is the Kentucky way of the way that I was raised, but I didn't see it. I wasn't exposed to other cultures. I learned that the South was hot and humid, but it was like a land of all the cliches that I learned and then some. And then going from that to South Korea, not only did I have to learn the cultures of my individual peers and the different personality types and like who was from the Northeast and I was too chatty because I was from the South and my friend from California was really chill. I met my first non-straight human gasp in, you know, uh, in, uh, in my first duty station and we hung out all the time and like he was a, he was gay, but we weren't allowed to tell anybody that he was gay and so people thought we were dating because we spent so much time together. We had sleepovers. We went to karaoke. He was the best boyfriend ever, but whatever. Um, But, you know, that was like a whole thing for me. And I remember calling home and telling my mom, like, I met all these people and they're amazing. And, you know, the Bible belt was strong and they were like, you're going to burn in hell for hanging with all these people. So it was just, it was a whole experience, but it kind of just 
helped create this human of like acceptance. Like I didn't care if you were gay. I didn't care if you were straight. I didn't care if you were from wherever and I didn't care if you weren't. And it was just being in the military was almost like evening the, the playing field to some degree and learning how to deal with different personality types, which preps you for civilian life later. And you have no idea that that's what's going to happen, but it's a long way of saying it was a little bit of a culture shock. And I even learned without the rant, like, you know, when you're you're brought up in basic training in AIT, officers are the end all be all, right? I was enlisted and I was told that officers knew everything. And like, if they even spoke to me, I literally thought I was going to have a heart attack because someone spoke to me. And as, a, as my very first assignment, I worked with all officers and senior enlisted. And so it was really different of an experience for me because my peers would be like, they talk to you. And I'm like, yeah, unfortunately they talk to me every day and they tell me what to do. But where it was going with that is I had a female Lieutenant and we went to the range and we came back from the range. And you know, when you come back, you have to like clean your weapon. Right. So we're sitting on the floor and she looks very lost, but didn't say anything. And I just pull a bobby pin out of my hair and I pop the firing pin out of, this is a very common practice, by the way, pop the firing pin out of the weapon, pull it open, disassemble the bolt and start cleaning, put the bobby pin back in my hair, go about my business. She comes over and she sits next to me and I'm like, I think I'm a PFC. Like I'm a private. All right. Like I am nobody. Nobody knows who I am. People don't talk to you unless they're screaming. At you. you are the dumbest of the dumb. You're not, but that's just what it was. And she said, hey, PFC, you know, whatever my last name was at the time, how did you do that? And I said, do what, ma'am? And she said, the thing with the bobby pin, like, I can't even take this thing apart. And I thought to myself, is she messing with me right now? Like, is she about to like ruin my life? And she literally didn't know how to take apart her own weapon. And I figured out in that moment that like, oh, these women are taught to be strong, independent, fearless leaders without really skill. So it's like fake it till you make it. And in that moment, we formed a bond where I would do minuscule tasks for her and she would protect me from all the dumb things because she had all the power and I was the the minion. So, you know, that was kind of a, an overall experience. It's a long rant that hopefully you can, you know, chop up and use. But I mean, it was just a whole like culture shock from culture, military culture shock, People that I thought were super like important that like knew everything actually didn't know anything. And it was like this weird trying to navigate while trying to grow up personally, go to college, build relationships, make friends in a country where outside the gate, no one really spoke English. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, when I was a lieutenant, they told me, you don't know anything. Trust your NCOs, your senior NCOs. So it's kind of funny. And I don't know if that's like an Air Force thing, but I remember I went to an army training and I like asked this guy, I didn't know all the ranks. And so like, I asked this kid, I was like, hey, where's this? And he's like, why are you talking to me? And I was like, because you're a human. And he was like, look at this. And I was like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, <laughs> no, and in the, in the army, in the initial training phase, same, they taught us army rank. They didn't teach us air force rank. And I had a really awkward experience with a female air airman. I think it's technically too. Like I still have to learn female airman. We were at like the clinic, like the medical clinic in line to get an appointment. And she's standing there. I was so mad in her PTs, her cute little bun. She's got her little pearls in and makeup on looking like she's just, and I look like I got hit by a Mack truck. Cause I literally had just got rolled in the dirt. We don't wear earrings. I didn't wear makeup and uniform. I, I think that's like even like a newer thing now. Right. And she walks up to me and she was like, can I ask you something? And I'm like, can I help you? Like, who are you? And she was like, do they treat you bad in the army? I hear it's like really bad over there. And I just wanted to be like, you look like a Barbie talking to me and I just got rolled in sweat. Like, no, they don't treat me bad, but I really want to punch you in the face right now. And that probably was not like the right way to go. So definitely just different experiences and environments. I guess I felt more like a dude and I was jealous that she got to look cute and I'm standing there like gross. Yeah. When I was at my training for my deployment, they were like, really annoyed with the air force people because we could wear ponytails and they still had to wear buns and we could wear earrings and yeah they're all those things and they were like they're like i don't like you it's like and then you had to like you know i guess this is another topic for fruit but it definitely created some like hate right like i've and i and i watched one of my friends even from the marines she was very dainty before she left and very feminine and she came back like big and buff and I thought she was gonna break me in half and I was actually afraid of her and this is somebody who I went to high school with like I 
again, totally different environment for each individual branch, definitely a different experience. So, and I don't know that that's true today because I've seen some very feminine, but also will break you in half strong women, regardless of service. But back then it was just like, yikes. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's been a lot of big changes for women over the last, you know, I would say the last 10 years, because like, I mean, now you can wear a ponytail or a braid. And I think they're allowing females to be more feminine in uniform and not just like out of uniform. And so I think that makes a big difference and more like normal, I guess, more civilian, the closest thing to civilian (laughs) professional without being like full on like college level, you know? Yeah. So you talked about Korea and you talked about the different people and a little bit about your job. Was there anything else that happened while you were there that you want to share with us or we can move forward? We can talk about it. You know, I think I I don't want to scare anybody, but I will tell you that the amount of, I still haven't figured this out to the day. So now a lot of females experience kind of trauma in the way that they are sexually assaulted or sexually harassed. And that was definitely true for me while I was there. I won't come out and tell anybody that I was like raped, but I definitely have a very odd scenario where I went out with friends. I had a singular drink. I do not remember what happened for the rest of the night from one drink. So to date, I'm convinced that someone either at the bar or one of the guys that I was with, which seems really off because again, I like, so you can tell I struggle with this a little bit. Who are my friends and like brothers? There was a whole pack of them. We always traveled in packs and like followed all the rules for safety. But I know that I had one drink that night and I don't even know how I got home. And I know that we went to a event the next day where we had to be in like, I don't know what they call that now. I guess that would have been like gas chamber gear or like kind of that thing. And I wore my mask all day and we did all these events and I came home and I got in the shower because I smelled like a gas chamber. And I found a condom that was left in my body and I don't know how it got there. But I was not a person who was like sexually active. In fact, because of the way that I grew up, you just heard I was afraid of my own shadow and boys didn't talk to me and I didn't talk to boys. And my parents made sure that that's how that was going to be until the day that I was married or died. And so I just, I never really figured that out. And so for me, that kind of brought on a lot of like trauma and trust issues with my own peers. And I don't know why we're going this route, but I think it's valid to talk about, especially today, safety concerns um, with the military and especially women, even men. Um, And what was really awkward for me is when it happened, you know, at that point, you had been kind of trained to like report, right? Like tell everyone, tell everybody. So I told my roommate who like, like literally my roommate and they made fun of me for it. I didn't get support. I didn't get the programs that exist for today. And at the time, and I look back at it now and look how I'm so uncomfortable. If you guys could see me on video, I'm so uncomfortable, but I feel like it needs to be talked about. So without becoming part of the Me Too movement, I never really confirmed what happened. I never really got the support that was there. And it really impacted my relationships with the male population moving forward. So for I don't even know if there's advice to give on that, but I didn't always just have this like magical career and nobody really wants to stand up and be like, hi, this happened to me. And like all of the things that go along with that. But at the same time, I feel like it's a a piece of my life that we don't really talk about that women in the military are just now starting to get comfortable talking about. I just think that you know, looking back at it, I wish there had been more of the programs that exist today, which still are questionable to talk about it. But it definitely impacted relationships moving forward with both my command, because then I felt like I couldn't tell anybody anything, all the way to my personal relationships later in life, to like communication, because then I wanted to like shut down and not and you know, this is me, I talked to everybody. I just got very protective about basically everything and just kept everybody at arm's length for a while and didn't know how to like deal with all of that. And so that was a a Korea experience. I think that's probably more common than what we know. And uh, just an interesting, uh, unfortunate piece of history that I find that is really common, uh, especially for our bracket of people. Yeah. And do you think that her response by like laughing, like basically making fun of you, like, I mean, that 
kind of you were like well I'm not going to tell anyone else because this was the reaction that I got and so yeah she went and she told everybody else and then I was like basically slut shamed because I didn't remember what happened to me and like I didn't know I mean how do you go to your command team too and be like so you know I'm 18 I've really never been sexually active with anyone. I didn't have a boyfriend. I think I had barely even seen, like, this is how naive I was. I had barely seen a condom. Hell, I hadn't even seen a naked man for all I remember at that point in my life. So to go to somebody and be like, so I found this, what do you do with that? I remember like removing it from my body, taking a shower and being very confused. I washed all evidence down the shower, threw it all away, went and got my own medical care when I got back but never really told anybody what, what happened. Like, how do you explain that? I think if the doctor, I don't even think it's documented in my records. I think if it's just like, a, I wanted to get a check, get on birth control. And I didn't realize the the severity of it. It was just like, a, I blamed myself because I let this happen to me kind of thing. But yeah, they definitely shamed me. I got title of uh, being a whore, which was really funny because I, I didn't even have a boyfriend. I didn't talk to anybody. I you know, whatever. So I just look at it now, like, God, I can't imagine what that would be like. Modern day Lindsay would have probably burned out a building, but 18, 19 year old Lindsay had no idea what she was getting herself into. Yeah. I think you're bringing up like so many of the important things of like how, when someone comes to you with something like that private, like how your reaction, like has such an impact on their life like that girl might not even remember making fun of you but like obviously you remember the whole conversation and it's still affecting you today and I think that's like the sad thing of like the stories that I've heard is like when they go to someone that they trust or are looking for advice the like negativity or the blaming of the victim instead of like supporting and encouraging and so that's one of the best things that I've seen change is the military and people are seeming to be more supportive. I don't know if it's like actually in practice or if it's like what they're right, trying to say. Yeah. And there's almost an environment of like, you should like you're praised for your bravery mostly, but I'm with you. I don't know if it's lip service or if it actually happens, I would have to go find somebody in current day service and interview them and say, how do you feel like about your command team if this really happened to you? But with the military service structure, each command team is comprised or each command teams are comprised, as you all know or don't know, of of different personality types and different people that are either more compassionate or not. And so uh, shout out to my husband and his command team. They are super like I feel bad for anything that would happen because they would all come to protect and help whoever that was. Whereas I don't know if that's true across the board for, for everybody else. But I think a lot of that comes from, you know, he grew up with women and he was the only dude. So it was like a reverse (laughs) reverse situation. Yeah. But I think that shows like why the support systems that are in place, like even the, you know, you can do a restricted report where you can talk to someone who's trained who's, you know, not just, you know, someone that you think you can trust. It's someone you can actually trust who will keep it to themselves and help you find the support that you need even without having to report it. And so I think it shows why those programs are so important and just that we need to be an advocate for everyone. And like, that's one of the reasons I want women, like, I really appreciate you being open and sharing because I think we have to talk about these things because if you can hear someone's story and about how this event affected them, not only then, but like today, you know, years and years later, it helps to humanize it and help you to understand like how those situations make people feel and how you can be an advocate for someone or you can support someone. Or if you find yourself in that situation, know that there's resources that can help you. Yeah. And I held on to that secret probably until... I had three children by the time I think I finally told my husband about it because it was like one of those things where I thought it was not a big deal. And so this happened probably when I was 18, 19, I had my last child, I must've been like 25. And he was very much like complaining that we not weren't physically intimate, but just that I kind of kept him at bay and was constantly uh, like, he would come up to me to hug me and I would just flinch. And I didn't know that that was like a thing. 
I just did it even. Um, so that marriage didn't work out. No big deal. It's all good. Even the new husband will say, you know, sometimes Lindsay, I just catch you off guard and I can just tell that you cringe every time I enter your space. Now, again, I was not awake. I do not remember anything that happened. I don't want to come out and say, Hey, this happened to me. I just know that there are weird things that I cannot explain. And I've had to like sit down and talk to him about it and be like, Hey, this happened. And I think what gets me the most is I still don't know what happened. I don't know. I know the people that I was with. I think I remember the last person that I was with and here's something that's really messed up for you guys and gals. That person was my uh, then husband's best friend. So it makes sense that I would have went home with that pack of people. These were people that I trusted, but I don't want to accuse anybody. I never did because I didn't have any like solid, (laughs) I don't want to ruin somebody else's career, but I still don't have an explanation for how that got there. Like that's a random object, right? It's not like, <laughs> like we can talk about it later, but yeah, it's, it's the whole thing. So to date, it took a lot of therapy and a lot of being able to compartmentalize without getting upset. You know, I'm not scarred for life, but I still have physical reactions to things sometimes that are not uh, great. I have anxiety, which I am sure probably didn't come for that one event, probably that entire military situation. And thanks to the army and its stress, I would say, I'm going to thank them for this, but I also don't know if it's true. I probably have a, I have a lot of ADHD from trying to like multitask and manage my life all the time early on and not learning how to relax. So I think a lot of that, yeah, you carry a lot of those things with you for the rest of your life. But from the outside looking in, if you saw my white picket fence life, I make fun of that all the time, or you see my persona that's on LinkedIn, or you'll see me out in public doesn't even register that was a thing that could even happen to me. And you can't really talk to your parents about it either, by the way, because like my mom and dad would have like lost their crap. They were already mad that I left the military, left, you know, home to go to the military. Yeah. When the body remembers things, even the mind forgets. So like it makes sense, like psychologically that your body would react and continue to react because, you know, there's this trauma and your body remembers things like your mind is pretty good at forgetting things that are traumatic so that it's trying to protect you, but your body still remembers those things. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, it takes a lot to like relax. And then I find myself out in like, I don't know about you guys and gals when you're out like in public and there's like large crowds and I'm with my kids or we're at like social gatherings, like we'll even use like military influencer, which is where I saw you. That's a lot for me. There are a lot of people and they're like everywhere. And I am constantly like scanning the room or I'm like anxiety ridden or you'll see me go to these events. And our, my team here with the company, they say this all the time, like Lindsay will go out and I will socialize to death. But then at like 6 p.m., 7 p.m., I will go hide in my room and I will not talk to anybody for the rest of the night because I've hit my max capacity. And I've heard like somebody say, you can just watch the color and all the excitement just drain out of this body to where I'll just be like, they'll be like, do you want to go to dinner? Do you want to go out? No. Do you want to go meet this person? No. And I'll just stand there and feel awkward that I don't have anything to say. (laughs) So yeah, it's like that. That makes sense. I mean, I think everybody's different and we have to like respect, you know, and I think it's good that you know, those boundaries, like, you know, like, okay, I'm done. Time to go to my room and get recharged so I can do it all again tomorrow. Again tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I've even gone to like pitch competitions where even a five minute pitch just sucks the life out of me. And afterwards I have to sit in the corner and the whole time, like my team will be like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I just can't be here. Like I really need to go. And I don't know, you know, I don't blame that one particular event, but I will definitely tell you that prior to that, nothing really kind of phased me. It was kind of like, whatever. But after that, I was like, people stay away. (laughs) On a happier note, you know, I left Korea and I went to Fort Campbell and I went to my first line unit and I had some of the best leadership I have ever gotten in my entire life. Like lifelong friends that I can't even begin to tell you are still a part of my life now that literally if one of them called me and said, pack up, we're going to wherever and we're going to do whatever. I'd be like, cool. Uh, can we get a cheeseburger on the way? And like, you know, I wouldn't ask questions. I would just go. And those people are responsible for making sure I went to college. You know, I had a sergeant major that, and it kind of leads to where I'm going today, but he came up to me one day and I think I was a specialist at this point, And he said, specialist so-and-so, are you in college? And I was like, no. And he said, 
well, now you're going to go to this college. Here's the form, call them and get enrolled. You will graduate. Do you understand me? And I mean, like, this is like a big dude. Like, I'm not going to tell, you no. I'm terrified. And I went to college and I got my bachelor's degree and I got my master's degree in the tech field. I had another situation where I got really heavy for the military and we couldn't figure out why I was heavy. I went from like, I'm using heavy, like proverbially joking. Cause I look back at these photos now and I'm like, Jesus army, like you really got to chill out with your body fat standards because I was five, six and 133 pounds, like tiny, but fat. Cause I had hips, um, but I kept gaining weight and we couldn't figure it out. And I had taken a pregnancy test and it was negative and like, there was no reason. So I got flagged for being heavy. Turns out I was actually pregnant. So one of my leaders went back and said, whoa, 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 like y'all can't punish her. She's legitimately pregnant and made sure that that got lifted so I could get promoted um, and reap all the benefits. But then when, aside from college, when the deployment came, because it finally came at the peak of 2000 and I guess this would have been six, I was pregnant. I didn't know that I was deploying. I was married to somebody on active duty And the day I went to tell him I was pregnant, he told me that he was deploying. So it was like, hey, I have something to tell you. And he's like, what? And I'm like, I'm pregnant. He's like, well, I got something to tell you too. And I'm like, okay, what? And he was like, I'm deploying. And he was gone for 18 months. But while he was gone, my unit was deployed 50 miles from where he was gone. And they left me behind to have my baby, my oldest son, who is now driving, Lord help us all stay off the sidewalk, y'all. Uh, they left me and they they made the excuse they needed me to stay in rear D to run IT support for our, you know, five person battalion. And at the time, I didn't realize that that's what they were doing for me. And I think they even gave me a little bit of a test because I got a phone call that was like, hey, you know, your son's of age, we need you to get on a plane. And so I drove my child to my in-laws, dropped him off in Indiana from Fort Campbell, and then drove home and cried the whole way. A week later, I got a call and they were like, just kidding. We don't need you. We're coming back early. Went back up to Indiana, got my kid and came back down. But like those leaders understood that two parents deployed with an infant was like a bad scenario. So as much as that bad experience that i had had at that prior duty station, and as much as I was in a line unit then, like, and I didn't understand it, like that leadership made sure that I went to school, that I was prepared for transition. I mean, as much as you could have been, that my family was taken care of, that I was taking care of my child. My first um, time that I had to leave my infant with a babysitter was with my NCOIC's wife, who ran a daycare out of her house. And she would like write me letters every day on what my kid did. And I don't mean like paragraphs. I mean like pages and pages of documentation of what they did. And again, like these were all positive things that happened there that really made me view army leadership and the army in a way different way than I did like in current status. And all those skills I learned at that unit, people skills, tech skills, leadership skills, helped build the person that exists in current state, which is really interesting. Yeah, that's really cool. And it's great to hear of such a positive experience. And you mentioned your time was up and that you like, how much time was it? Because now it's a year. And I'm sure it wasn't a year then. It was a while. So I was in Korea from April 2004 to like, April 2006. So while I was there, just because we skipped around, I met my husband at the time. We got married. Your standard, I'm in love at 19, like an idiot. And I married this dude. And uh, they sent him home to Fort Campbell. I stayed behind for six months right after we got married. And then I got to Fort Campbell, I want to say like April 2006. I had from April 2006 until the end of my army career, really, like 2010, as I spent all my time at Fort Campbell, because it was one of those times where that's just where where you were. And I just kept having children. And it was like, I had three kids in five years trying to be on active duty with a husband that was on active duty, who got assigned to special forces, who was gone for six months, home for six months, gone for 12 months, home for 12 months. Like, while trying to like build my career. And it just got to the point with three kids under five and trying to plan around these deployments and crazy that I was like, hi, this is great. 
but one of us is going to have to quit. And he really loved it at that point more than I did. So I took one for the team and transitioned into civilian life in like January or February of 2010, uh, where when you get out of the military, I don't know if this is true for the Air Force, but you have to go to the retention office and they basically do everything they can. Like, you know, we'll give you a small pony, $100 million, a lollipop, three wishes, whatever it is to like stay. Um, I opted not to stay, but I joined the National Guard for the state so that I could still, you know, be a part of something without being there kind of full time. Um, and then I got my first civilian job that year, basically. And it's just been civilian life, you know, ever since. But in the way that I've worked for the Department of Defense as a government contractor, I was a GS employee. Um, and I've always been a part of the government community. So it's like I really just changed clothes, I guess. It was like I got to be myself. And I remember my first civilian job was at the Fort Campbell uh they called them a duum back then. So the Department of Information Management nowadays for the Army, it's known as a NEC, Network Enterprise Center. And my Army friends would call our help desk where I got my first job and say, hey, I'm so glad you're working there. Our computers are broken. Can you help me? And I would have to do kind of remote support for them on the other side of the phone as a civilian. And it was a lot of fun for a while because then I figured out I could tell them no, uh, which back then I couldn't do. Kind of thing. So that's kind of how that all transitioned out over that whole kind of period of time. Yeah. I mean, I think dual military life is really hard, especially at the peak of like the war. And then you add kids and yeah, it gets really complicated. And getting married at 19, it's not always a bad decision, but it's not always a good decision, right? (laughs) Yeah. I actually don't. I'm glad my current husband is outside because, you know, men are weird, but I don't regret getting married that young. I had a great relationship with my then husband, now ex-husband, which is still true to date. I mean, we're still very good friends. We raise children together as a pack. I joke um, and tell people that I have brother husbands because we all like hang out, but it's for the kids. And as the kids get older, those relationships tend to get a little, you know, like I have teenagers now. There's not really a need for, you know, him to be around like all the time because the kids don't even want me around, let alone like their dad. But there was just a lot of personal growth that needed to happen throughout those years. And when you're 19 and you have your first kid at 21 and then you have another kid at 23 and then you have another kid at 24, you really lose sight of like who you are as like a person. And so if you don't know who you are as a person, you don't know who you are as a pair And then through all the responsibilities at 25 of three kids and house and bills and, you know, it adds up and things just go kind of awry Uh, and it just didn't work out. So it's whatever, like I'm completely okay. Lots of therapy to happen there to like figure all this out, but I'm very calm about it. But yeah, dual military was hard and I don't regret the choice that I gave that up for my family. I think that was one of the best choices but at the same time you know sometimes you miss it but it's hard to miss it when you work government contract jobs it's almost more fun that way because it's like I don't have to deal with all the bureaucracy I just get to be myself yeah I feel the same way like it was hard to leave the military but it was the best thing for our family and I don't regret leaving and I'm I'm happy with what I'm doing today so I'm not I'm not doing government contracting but (laughs) but you're not doing government contracting anymore so let's talk about that So in current state, you know, we'll just glaze over like seven years to the last three years window. You know, like I said, I I worked at the help desk for at Fort Campbell. I was a GS9 employee at the Warrior Transition Battalion and my whole background was tech. I had done tech. So I went from fixing your computers at a very like screwdriver level to IT project management or IT security to IT project management all the while bumping into different veterans along the way to give me coaching and resources. You know, one of my bosses was a former Marine and for fun, I would steal the devil dog off of his desk and hide it. Um, But he taught me IT cybersecurity in the civilian world. And I took all those skills with me up until about three years ago when I found myself working at Amazon. And so when you work at Amazon, you feel like you've arrived. I don't know if anybody's ever like interviewed there, but I felt really special because I gasp was recruited. They came for me. I didn't have to like, you know, I did have to apply and I did have to do all of those things, but I was fancy because they came for me and I just thought, oh my God, I have arrived. This is the greatest place ever. That year, 
that I got Amazon, you know, up to that point, I had met a new person and we were dating, we were blending a family and I started this new job. And so all these magical things were happening. And then this was probably like October of 2000 and whatever three years ago was what 2020 because we're in 2023 now. My brother passed away and I decided that at that time that I no longer wanted to be part of corporate America. And so when you go through a grief period like that, you find yourself kind of reevaluating the bits and pieces of your life. And I decided through volunteer work that I was passionate about helping military spouses and the transitioning service member. Now, as we know, uh, 2020 was a rough year leading into 2021. We had what COVID that was like ruining everyone's lives. And then, so I had COVID to deal with a new you know, partner to deal with the passing of my only biological sibling. And then, you know, trying to decide what I wanted to do with my life, which led to uh, me starting Empower Employee in its current state. So with Empower Employee, I had dreamt years prior that I was going to build this tech platform that was going to connect. I know this is so crazy. Uh, in 2008, I decided I was going to build this platform to connect veterans and military spouses to you know employers who wanted to hire them. And then I was going to come up with some system that if we moved from point A to point B, they'd be able to transfer us to each individual recruiter. I had this whole thing mapped out. I bootstrapped it. I built it. It died. And it didn't just die after I built it. It died like I didn't even get a client. I didn't even get to talk about it publicly. I have videos of the demo. Oh my gosh, we should look at these one day and laugh. That the server crashed and everything that it took me six months to build with $80,000 of my own money couldn't be rebuilt and wasn't backed up and was gone. And so when I went to the new soon-to-be husband and said, hey, so I'm really passionate about building the SaaS platform, but I've realized that it's not just the SaaS platform that needs to exist. It's education content that needs to exist about our community. Will you support me on this? And I thought he was going to tell me, you know, I'm, this is a complete stranger to my crazy business ideas, right? That I was nuts and it wasn't going to happen. And him and I always say Bruce Thompson said, go build it. And so I did. I went out and I built uh, through bootstrapping another platform, another education uh, content and became the CEO of my own future. And I've been just doing that for the last three years. I love how I glaze over all that. Like it's not a big deal because sometimes I forget that it is a big deal. Not uh, not everybody goes and does that. So uh, right now I am the founder and CEO of a company that has a tech platform that I built with my bare hands and help on a napkin. That's awesome. And I love that it comes from a passion of helping military spouses and transitioning veterans. And it's unique in the fact that it, like with military spouses, you know, the resume gaps sometimes can cause problems and you're trying to help, you know, overcome that challenge and just helping to get people in the right place, especially, I mean, transitioning's hard. And I think your platform is helping to solve a lot of problems for both sides, the veteran side and for military spouses, which, you know, you played both roles, so you know. Yeah, and so what the way that it's designed is, uh, I call it Tinder for Jobs, which if you're part of my marketing team and you heard me say that, I'm really sorry. I know that you've asked me not to call it that. I'll find a better way to describe it, but corporate matching based on a skill set, but with the intent that you are directly connecting with that recruiter for mentorship because the platform is called Empower. Mentorship military matching. So the goal is that you meet a mentor that works at or a recruiter that wants to hire you that has their job listings on the job board and the ATS system they're already using, as well as, you know, directly connecting so they can give you the informational interview process so they can help you look at your resume on top of the training courses that we provide hopefully resulting in an employment at the same time, training those civilian recruiters on all things military spouse. Like I see there's a gap in your resume. So they don't have to explain, yes, I PCS to Timbuktu 15 million years ago and I've been at home with my kid ever since um, or whatever your reasoning is. And the service member doesn't have to be the sole proprietor of being a walking translator of their skill set because we've taught some of those skills to the incoming mentor. So it's it's a crazy little idea that seems to be working. Yeah, and I helped a little bit of the behind the scenes on the course, and I thought it was so groundbreaking because it talked about things that sometimes we get into this like military speak that we forget that people who aren't in the military community have no idea. And so I loved how it was like blending the two worlds together and helping them to understand 
so that it can help. It helped me as, you know, maybe a future employee knowing like what challenges the civilian side had. So I thought it was great for both, you know, civilians and for military members because it covers both aspects. Yeah. And I think someday you'll see us expand outside of the military candidate pool. I definitely see this for early careers and not just being about the military, but for now, this is my home uh, of community that I'm used to and it feels like a safe space. So hopefully you'll see us expand outside of that space. I did just become, just as an update, so first time anybody's going to hear me say this, I became a CompTIA certified trainer and provider. Now we can train early career IT professionals, women, people of color. We can open up the diversity, you know, bucket for people in tech, our humans in tech. We can train veterans who maybe missed out on their GI bill. We can provide test prep and exams. We can, you know, build out the next level of the the tech community. And I'm still building out the programmatic response, but, you know, I'm really excited about that expansion to provide more services because certifications and education and experience equal employment or a combination of those. So just looking at other ways to continually serve and doing that. That's so exciting. I'm so excited for what you guys are doing and for your future because it sounds like this is just the beginning. So that's really exciting. And I always like to end my interviews with what advice would you give to a young woman who's considering military service? If you're going to join the military, do it with a very strategic plan of what your goals are. Look into all options and all branches, right? I don't have any regrets about my service mainly. I just wish that I had opted to maybe go the officer route and go to college first and build career skills first. Or once I felt really comfortable in my skill set and I felt like the hotshot, you know, IT technician that maybe I would have focused more on becoming a warrant officer uh, for the military and becoming a specialized SME and doing something a little different. Pick a skill set that is transferable no matter what because you never know what's going to happen. Now, I'm not saying don't go out and choose to be in the infantry and blow stuff up. Cool. If you want to blow stuff up and shoot the things and roll in the mud, cool, do that. But make sure that those skills are you know, in alignment with more than law enforcement if that's not what you want to do when you get out and go to school. Take advantage of all the places, travel on your leave, use the space A system and plan everything before you just jump in kind of blindly. Because again, I feel like I jumped in blindly. It worked out well for me. My transition went okay because I had mentors, but not everybody had what I had. And talk to your friends and parents. Don't run away from home so your parents will sign your paperwork. My mom was just trying to protect me. Wish she had just, you know, Maybe not have, but yeah, it's just strategically plan everything and make sure this is something you really want to do. And if you're not sure, join the National Guard or another branch and test it out first. Such great advice. And if you're looking to learn more about the military, you can always check out my book, A Girl's Guide to Military Service. And thank you so much, Lindsay, for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on the podcast. It's been a really great interview. So thank you. Well, thanks for having me. I hope I said something that inspired or helped somebody and that makes a little sense aside from like squirrel, but thanks again.